Today's reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. A legal expert stood up to the test, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who had countered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Holy God, we wanted an easier scripture for this morning, but this is the one that you've asked us to look at. So give us eyes to see and hearts to hear and hands that we reply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus' parables are not meant to be easy. They are meant to be a bit of shifting ground, to raise up the question, yes, but I thought. Scholar Barbara Reed writes in her commentary, parables intentionally attempt to challenge presumptions for any audience. Then and now, reversing expectations, reversing the norm, and proposing a different view of life with God. In our modern parlance, who wants to be a good Samaritan? Everybody, the way we use it. Listening to the radio last week, Judy Woodruff said on the news hour, she used the term good Samaritan re referring to a couple in Highland Park 
during the shooting, after the shooting, who went and rescued the one orphaned toddler whose parents had died protecting him. A good Samaritan, she said, and I thought, oh, Judy, really? Is that how we're gonna use this phrase? The term has come to mean those who go out of their way for another. And, and if that's the term, praise God, that's a wonderful term because it's some place that most of us don't go easily out of our way. Um, I'm the worst. I have a schedule. I have a plan. I don't want to interrupt that schedule or plan. But this is not Jesus's point that my plans and my schedule come to fruition. Jesus chose a character who was loathed by his local audience and by his greater audience as well, the surrounding community. Someone from Samaria turned out to be the hero of Jesus's story. Now that was a hard swallow, not just for Jesus's disciples, but everybody else listening. As you know, the residents of Samaria were among those raided by the dreaded Assyrians back in the day. Some were captured and some were left there intentionally by the Assyrians so that the Assyrians could come and infiltrate the race and change the people to become part of um, Assyria. This was at the time, the northern kingdom of the divided kingdom of northern Israel and uh, called Israel and southern kingdom called Judah. And Samaria was the capital and it was erased from the population of Israel and the only people re remaining were the Judeans. After the invasion, everything went against the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the residents, everything went against their way of things are supposed to be. Their status as God's people felt ruptured, violated, and then they were treated that way by Judah. They were not ruptured in God's eyes. They were ruptured in the eyes of other faithful people. They were not ruptured in Jesus's eyes, who referred to not only the Samaritan here, other Samaritans, and went out of his way to pass through Samaria with his disciples saying, oh, we don't really want to go there. Yes, we do, said Jesus. At the time, the nation that became known as Israel, of the people of God, they practiced exclusion not embrace. Part of that was survival. When you're in survival mode, you, you draw the circle of the wagons around to protect yourself and you don't want to look at anybody that might threaten your sense of who you are. This parable of Jesus intentionally upends exclusion, not just of the Samaritans in Jesus's day, but everyone we might and do exclude. In your Bibles, if you have them open, there may be a heading. I personally dislike Bible headings, but there may be a heading in your Bible called Good Samaritan. Notice, as Margaret read for us, Jesus never said that phrase. 
So somebody put a descriptor into scripture, it is not scripture, it is a description, so that people like me, when I'm looking, where is that text on the Samaritan who rescued somebody abandoned? Oh good, there it says in my heading, Good Samaritan, thanks, that's all I needed to know. Please don't let the heading in your Bible tell you how to interpret Jesus. Jesus did not use the phrase, Good Samaritan. What Jesus did use was the phrase, so, who's your neighbor? In this story, who is the neighbor? Implying who is your neighbor? The person that may not identify you as neighbor may just be your neighbor. And the elder, the teacher of the law of Torah, said with this brilliant smile, I imagine it's a brilliant smile, hmm, great question. Can you do a slide change for me, Matthew? Thank you. Sharing with you a picture from the community called Mafa Jesus, a community of artists from Cameroon, a country where I lived many years later. In the 1970s, their artist depicted stories and texts from scripture with their own images. I'm quite sure that people who had come to Cameroon had shown the ancient classic artists, look, this is how the story has been illustrated. And the people said, yeah, but your people don't look like our people. And so I don't know what their their thought process was, but as an observer of their art and a thorough appreciator of their art, I see interesting things. Now, first off, I'm rather hoping that you do not see, oh, look, everybody's African. Because there's a difference here in this picture that I, having lived there for three years, would recognize. So I want to just present it to you. The man offering the service, the rescuer, we will call him, which whom we know is from uh, Samaria, he is dressed as a northern Cameroonian. The hat, the scarf. And northern Cameroonians from where I had lived on the not northern side were looked at as in, mm, there might be some Nigerian in there, there might be some Chad in there, and maybe somebody would have said, yes, maybe Cameroonian, but not our sort, as we tend to do. And as I've said before, sometimes it's easier using somebody else's art to stop and rethink how we see a picture. And this brings to mind an experience that I had while flying um, two months ago sitting down on my lovely aisle seat, the person on opposite me on the other side of the aisle said to her neighbor, oh, I had ear surgery, so I have to wear earplugs. Could you speak a little louder? And I'm thinking to myself, ooh, this is an airplane, and you have earplugs in to protect your ears. That's marvelous, but maybe you shouldn't be speaking quite so loud. First thoughts through my head, because of course I'm not judgmental, and of course I completely embrace embracing the other, unless you annoy me. And then the subject changed from her surgery to phrases like the steel. and fake news 
and presidential choices. Not mine. <laughs> I kind of got angrier as this conversation lasted about four hours of the flight, thinking to myself, I could push the button and ask an attendant to please be make the person quiet, but then everybody's going to hear that. And then I looked right in front of the seat where this conversation is going, and there are three African-American men sitting right there, and I'm thinking, they're hearing everything. And the part that I love the most is what I call those God moments, when the Holy Spirit just kind of comes in and this thought comes to me that I guarantee you wasn't on my mind because I was dancing the dance of complete irritation and I was moving really close to hate. So, who's your neighbor? What was my instant response? I bet you can figure it out, not her. And then of course I went straight on to not them either. And I could just feel the sense of God going, mm-hmm. And when's the last time you read your Bible? Okay. Now this situation, if you were sitting where I was sitting, may not have set you off, but something else has. So that's my story, and I'll bet you can bring to mind a situation where that piece of Christ that we've just shared vanishes and irritation takes its place. And then Jesus' little tiny voice in the scripture comes back. And who is the neighbor? in this story? Oh yeah, the one that nobody liked or wanted to sit next to in the plane. I wonder, I wonder why this scene, coming back to the painting, does not include the religious leaders like me. Maybe they had already kind of given up on the religious leaders. Maybe they thought, oh, well, they are on this scene. I'm sorry, it's the next scene they're not in. They are leaving. There are two of them. They are fleeing the scene. And the man offering to help is standing there with his donkey. The religious leaders had voted to say, I don't think I'm going to help this person. And they probably had ritualistic, good, holy reasons. Hmm. But when we're supposed to be followers and we don't agree with a situation, who's supposed to adapt? Oh no, Jesus, that's not my kind of people. I don't want to participate or show any mercy or compassion with this conversation over here. Yeah, the background. We religious leaders left the scene. I'm afraid I might have too. And this painting brings it to mind. Would you be willing to, to move it to the next one? This is Rembrandt's painting from 1630 of, also titled, Good Samaritan. I love the fact that he included what my interpretation of the Samaritan woman at the well in the background. So here's the inn, but in the background, there's a well Every place has to have a well for water, and there's a woman reaching down to get water from the well. How brilliant that the artist, that Rembrandt, put these two scenes about Samaritans together. She is getting a drink of water from, for Jesus from John chapter four, as I understand his painting. He may not have had that intention, but if I understand art correctly, the interpretation of the painting is valid even if the painter meant something different. Notice that Rembrandt brings a horse. 
In the Mafia Jesus, it was a donkey. There's a difference between horses and donkeys and their status and their prestige. The horse has it all, the donkey has none. If you want to have a great Bible study, look up all the donkeys in scripture. Each time, they're the server of the one who's making gods change. Notice that the rescuer in, in Rembrandt's painting is in fine attire, and it's a nice fine inn along the Jericho Road, the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Rembrandt is painting his own society, but still this is a higher society setting. The rescuer is not taking the wounded man, the abused man, to the cheapest inn. He's selecting a fine inn. He's paying for the victim's care. He's promising to come back if the money he leaves is not sufficient. How's that for compassion and mercy? How's that for being a true neighbor? Commonalities, none. Crossing boundaries, absolutely. Choosing embrace, yes. And now Jesus asks, okay, which of the three examples is the neighbor? Which of the three examples is you being a neighbor? Take the images and put them over here. Now let's go back to this legal expert who came to Jesus with a question. Commentator Richard Swanson compares the Torah expert questioning Jesus with a building inspector, making sure the building is up to code, verifying the, the building's solidity. Not the programming language, obviously, but the old understanding of a solid structure that will stand the test of time. The Torah expert may have had the prophet Amos in his mind as he goes to Jesus testing his solidity. Prophet Amos spoke to the northern kingdom, including Samaria, its capital, warning that God was not pleased. And Amos used a builder's language of plumb line to determine solidity. In his prophecy, Amos is basically saying the community is not functioning correctly. It's breaking down, it's not working the way it's supposed to be. And included in Amos's ire is King Jeroboam II who's definitely not doing things God's way as kings were supposed to. And Amos brought up the illustration of a plumb line. That line that is determined from the height of the building and the gravity that says, yes, the building is straight. If you're off of the plumb line, you are no longer straight. The weight holds that line taut and shows that everything is holding together or not. And Amos tells the community, God set the plumb line on you and it's not right. Your building is not right. What is that plumb line? Love, hospitality, genuine concern, recognition of the other, and then that other, other you probably don't want to recognize. This all comes under God's, the 
the vision of a plumb line. As does brokenness. Now the perfect line of a plumb line is not broken, otherwise the building is broken. But for God, brokenness is part of doing things God's way. The person receiving the care did not want to be broken as neither do you nor I, but interruptions in our lives happen. They happened this past week to the celebrating community in Highland Park, Illinois, where I once was a summer pastor at First Presbyterian Church. Interruptions happen when many officers sworn to follow the law, fired, what was the number, 60 bullets into Jalen Walker? 60? One? We take sides. But Jesus' parable reverses the sides. Could we be a neighbor to one of those officers? What if one of those officers is the one that came to us to save us from a perilous situation. Jalen's family is hurting and broken by loss and disruption. Have you ever noticed how many of those in pain end up being the best neighbor? And we like to shun pain. Back to Highland Park, the current pastor at Highland Park Presbyterian Church. Quincy Worthington wrote in response to the shooting in his town, Christ was broken for resurrection. And now, just when it seems as though everything is broken so badly that it turns to dust, God shows up in the most profound ways to do something beyond expectation and belief. Somehow, even in brokenness, God brings healing. And he writes, I believe that God does that through ordinary people like you, and even sometimes rarely me. God somehow takes the pieces, no matter how small they are, through our brokenness, our broken hearts, and fits them back together to make things new. So maybe, he writes, we take this brokenness that we feel now and instead of hiding it from each other, we show each other the jagged and sharp edges and are honest that this painful violence breaks us. And we see that if these pieces can fit together, touched by God's mercy and compassion, we might be able to bring change to the world as God's kingdom intends. Maybe we can find that our, our brokenness is not our weakness. That brokenness is not our weakness or something to hide, but instead it's our greatest source of strength when we share it together. Is God familiar with brokenness? Yes. Are we prepared for the person that helps to mend our brokenness to be somebody we may not want to sit next to in the plane? And to Jesus' question, now, who is the neighbor? 
Who would our examples be as we ponder God's request on how we treat our neighbor? I cannot answer the question for you. I can just offer the suggestion of pondering on being a neighbor and receiving a neighbor. To God be the glory. Amen.